In times like this, in times when we are facing increasing challenges to the Christian faith and to the liberty that we have hold, held without realizing how precarious that liberty is, uh, because we're so used to it that we don't realize that the privilege we've had is a privilege. But in those times of great needs and dangers, we need to be more like Psalm 119, verse 52. I'll read it to you. I remember thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. There's times that God's people need to comfort themselves, says here. How? By considering the judgments, the works, the deeds of God of old. A remarkable statement to be found in this Psalm 119. I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. God's dealings in the past are our security for today and our encouragement for the future. That's what this poet understood. And not only this one, there's many of them in the Psalms who always look back and out of the past dealings look forward with confidence, with trust, and with expectation. And such is the reason, congregation, that a large part of this book is history. A large portion of the scriptures is historical book. Stories about God's dealings and God's judgments. And Romans 15 verse 4 reminds us of this truth. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The things that were written, Paul writes, in the four times of the scriptures. See, that verse should correct a bad habit that maybe is yours and that is often found. First of all, a neglect of the Old Testament. As if the New Testament is more able to comfort us. That's not true. And willful neglect of the historical portions by the idea that confining my attention to the more uh, spiritual parts of the New Testament will somehow make my spiritual life better is forgetting that the Lord and Savior, the Son of Man, fed his faith only out of the Old Testament. And those historical portions of the Old Testament, therefore, are to be so read and meditated upon, especially when we are feeling discouraged. So let's turn now with that to Isaiah 50, uh, 49 this evening. I want to encourage you tonight with these words from the prophet Isaiah. I need courage. You need courage. Mind you, 
Jesus needed courage. In this chapter, the Messiah speaks about being discouraged. Notice how it begins in verse 1 through 4. It speaks about the Messiah, the servant of the Lord. And note what he says in verse 4. Then I said, I have labored in vain. Now many say that's Isaiah. But this is not Isaiah speaking. This is the Messiah speaking. I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught and in vain. He's discouraged. Jesus was at times discouraged. Of course, as a son of man. He labors, he preaches, he reaches out, he loves. And every time, he's getting opposition. He came to his own, John writes, and his own received him not. His sermons were not appreciated. His ministry of love and forgiveness was not appreciated. They rejected him as a fool. They called him a blasphemer. They finally killed him as a criminal. Even his own forsook him. Talk about discouragement. As a son of man, Jesus met discouragement. And congregation, as we are looking at this Isaiah 49 tonight, let us drink in God's encouraging words now, and let us become a community of encouragers. For that's another name for a church. A community of encouragers. For around us, everything is discouraging. I don't have to detail that to you. The entire Western world is cracking in its seams. I should really say, the entire Western world is committing suicide. We're hanging ourselves. And so in that discouraging uh, circumstance, uh, we need encouragement. And Isaiah 49 was written to encourage us. For notice in verse 4. Notice this little changing word. Yet, surely, my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. Notice that change of discouragement to encouragement. My work is with God. My cause is in higher hands. My ministry My labor will not be in vain after all. Why not? Because God is taking hold of it. This is how the Savior speaks and encourages himself. And he does it several times. All that the Father has given me shall come. Who is he talking to? To himself. In the first place. As he sees people rejecting him and he sees his ministry being discredited, All that the Father has given me shall come. Yes, yet my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. Now notice how he casts his anchor in faith in Jehovah. And then the Father responds. Verses 5 to 12, if you have your Bibles open, is is, is the response of the Father uh, to his uh, Son, and and in very brief he says, my son, your work is not going to be in vain. 
It's going to be worldwide. You notice in verse 12, you have to find the word sinin. Some people believe that's the old name for China. It could very well be true. Your work, your work is not going to be in vain. It's going worldwide. The Apostle Paul quotes in Acts 13, verse 47, uh, verse, one of these verses here. Out of this passion, a portion, I thought it was verse 7 or 8. What, what Paul was doing there in Antioch is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Jesus' work is not in vain. Your kingdom work is going on and on and on until it reaches the farthest regions. Here we are tonight. The very proof of the fulfillment of this prophecy. As God's gospel is preached in New Zealand. His work did go worldwide, yet his work is not done, congregation. That's why we are here. Our work is not done. I mean not my work, our work. Because God is not just using preachers. God is using uh, all his people. Everyone here, we heard it this Sunday, salt of the earth, children of God, you are the salt, you are the light. Harry just prayed about it. The work is not done. And we need to be encouraged. And therefore, in verse 13, the prophet says, sing. Now notice, nothing has changed on the circumstances yet. We're not all of a sudden fast forward into a brighter period of history. No, no. This chapter is written when? In the time of Babylonian captivity. In a time when the the whole city is flat. In the time when all the Israelites are in Babylon. In a time when there is no prophet and no priesthood, no temple, no church services. At least not in Jerusalem. And what does God say? Sing. Sing. Read the verse with me. Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted church. And notice the next verse. You could have said it, right? Maybe you, maybe you feel like that. Ah, oh, Lord, but I, just, I can't sing. I can't sing, Lord. Thou hast forsaken me. And, oh God, thou hast forgotten me. This is the response of the people to whom Isaiah must write this. The facts are so discouraging. The broken walls of Jerusalem are laying there. The sense of being forsaken is not just uh, imaginary. They feel forsaken, and they are. It seems like it. Notice at the end of verse, uh, in verse 24, shall the prey be taken out of the hand of the mighty. He is mighty Babylon. It's holding Little prey Israel, Judah in its hands. Like a, like a mountain lion toying with a little mouse. And the little mouse is Israel. And the mountain lion is Babylon. And then sing, Lord please, we can sing. Thou hast forsaken us. Thou hast forgotten us. Now now notice how God is answering that. In congregation. I could feel that verse this morning quite well. 
I feel like that too sometimes. I'm sure you share that with me. When we look at the wickedness triumphing in New Zealand, in all the Western world, in all the nations. I feel that, this, I feel that God's hand is withdrawing from us. Don't you feel that too? So I, I feel this too. Lord, we are calling, we're praying, but everywhere we see the breakdown of the Christian cause and the Christian morality and the Christian church. We've been asking the Lord to revive. How many times? We're coming together every week or at least every other week with a few of us to pray. And there's hundreds and thousands of these little groups over the world praying weekly for revival. Revival and nothing happens. Or or is something happening? Is COVID-19 the answer? On the prayer of those who cry and sigh about the abominations in the world. And my friends, I know there are hundreds and thousands of little groups praying like we do there in the little haven every other Wednesday night. There's lots more room there. But thousands of them are praying. And it seems like God is not answering. Oh, God is answering. Maybe we haven't recognized the answer yet. And God will answer. That's what Isaiah 49 tells me. That's what God promises us. Even though the direction of our culture is decidedly anti-Christian. Even though this country, like all Western countries, want to be autonomous, self-governing. We have no time for the God of heaven. We write our own laws about life and death. That's autonomous. That is ultimately despicable. In the last several decades, we have seen nothing else but a successful purging of God away out of the national consciousness and conscience of our nation. And the next referendums that this government is proposing is but the evidence of it. Even common sense has died. Just plain common sense of looking at facts and figures and statistics has absolutely not any more considered. Why? Because, because we've left God and when God is left, God leaves us to leave, to be led by blind leaders, leading the blind. That's kind of what these people in Israel must have felt. Lord, thou hast forsaken us. Thou hast forgotten me. Perhaps you feel like verse 14 in your personal circumstances. Maybe some of us here feel like that in our own family. Everything is breaking off. Everything is going wrong. Everything that I try, everything I seek, it's never, never well. Wave after wave, setback after setback. And in all that, God seems to be so far away. Now, what are then the encouragements we need to cling to tonight? What does God say to us in this chapter? What are we to cling to? Well, not our efforts. Not our hard labor. Not our prayers tonight. All necessary. Yeah? Very important. 
Every one of us ought to be busy, hardworking for the kingdom of God in prayer and whatever other ways we can do. But that is not the encouragement. What is our encouragement? If you have your Bible open, look at verse 15. I underline it in my Bible. Yet will I not forget. Don't read over these little wills and shells in your Bible. They are the most powerful words. Yet will I not forget. The next verse is 17. That children shall make haste. Look at that little shell. It's not a maybe. It's a shell. Look again at verse uh, 22. You read over that phrase so many times. It's the most common phrase in the Bible. Thus saith the Lord. I think 420 times the most common phrase in the entire scripture is that one. And we don't even hear it anymore. Thus saith the Lord. Yeah. No. Listen. Listen what God says. Thus saith the Lord. Behold. And here, over and over, we read these words. Now let's go back to verse 15 again. What does God say to the people who are feeling forgotten? Now listen, can a woman forget her sucking child? That she shouldn't have compassion on the son of her womb? Well, that may happen. Indeed, sometimes. Though very unnatural. But I will not forget thee. I will not forget my people. Verse 17. Your children that are now in Babylon, your children that are now scattered, they will make haste. And thy destroyers and that make thee ways shall go forth. I say, but pastor, be realistic. That's not going to happen in New Zealand. That the destroyer, Satan and all his agents that have been destroying this society little by little, stone by stone. That's not going to happen. Well, that, is that the language of faith or unbelief? Is that the language of defeat or victory? Is this the language that is based on the past, the judgments of God? Or is that the language of unbelief who looks at the dark future and says it is impossible? My friend, that is why I chose that Psalter verse that I started with. I have looked and I will think of thy judgments of old, O Lord, and I will comfort myself. How? Like David did. Sick like, all burned up, all the people gone, nothing have nor. And David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Took hold of the revelation of God. Verse 18 to 20. God is still speaking to his servant as it were. He says, lift up your eyes about. Look, look, all these people are gone, but it's all going to differ. All going to change. You're based in desolate places. It's going to be restored. Matter of fact, it's going to be too narrow. It's going to be too small. And they that swallowed you up, they shall be far away. And the children that you lost, they will be restored. And they will say in your ears, the place is way too narrow. Give me more place that I may dwell. And what is God's means to accomplish all that? Verse 22. 
Same old preaching of the gospel. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the Gentiles, I will set up my standard to the people, and they shall bring forth thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. Congregation, what is that standard that Isaiah speaks about here? That's nothing but the old-fashioned gospel. That is nothing but the gospel story of God sending his son into the world to die for horrid sinners. That is the story of him who came forth in Capernaum, uh, in, in Nazareth, uh, and out of Nazareth, and, and he who was born as a carpenter and worked as a carpenter claims to be the son of God. Foolish, ridiculous, the Greeks say. Nonsense. Rejection, the Jews say. And here's a man who claims uh, to be the prophet of God. He never went to a prophet's school. And he says, my father and I are the same. And they think he's such a lunatic, they nail him to the cross. That's the gospel. And he raised himself from the dead. And he ascended into heaven and he sits in the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We confess it every Sunday. That's the standard. And that plain preaching of the message of God's love in the gospel has gone out over the world and has indeed gathered all over the world multitudes of people. O congregation, though we live in unbelieving and skeptical times, though our culture ridicules us for believing the old-fashioned gospel of Jesus Christ, they think we're narrow-minded people who live in our past days. They think we are bigots we are have a believing in a hopeless myth. I'll be ashamed to hold on to the same gospel message that flattened the Roman Empire and that came into New Zealand and changed the Maori culture to one of the most unbelievably blessed cultures. Once upon a time. It's no more today, right? But it did. Flourish. What? When the old standard of the gospel was lifted up by those early missionaries, God drew and the place extended where the people of God dwell together. So don't expect the world ever to give you a hearing when you share the gospel with them, but expect God to do what he promised to do. The gospel is the power of God. Now, the verse that really brought me to this chapter is verse 23. And after having looked at that verse, I decided the whole chapter. This is a hugely encouraging verse. Let's read it again. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens, thy nursing mothers, and they shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth and lick up the dust of thy feet. And thou shalt know that I am Jehovah, 
For they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. Now let's start with that last part. Who are those that wait for him? Those are the wrestlers in the prayer meetings. Those are the wrestlers in their private prayer rooms. Don't ever think that waiting means doing nothing. And just wait. You have the wrong Bible in your hand if you think that's what waiting means in the Bible. Waiting in the Bible means wrestling prayer as we trust and lean and look to God. And we trust Him. Waiting on His promise. That's what waiting is. And God says, my people, if you wait like this, you shall not be ashamed. And notice what it says in the pre- first part of the verse. You say, that, that, that's not going to happen. Thy kings and thy queens shall be thy nursing fathers and mothers. The word nursing means nourishing. Like parents who take care of children. Educate them, guard them, provide. And what's God saying here? He says kings, not, not the kings of Judah, not the kings of Israel, no kings. Kings shall be as fathers and mothers to what? To the church. God says, I will make kings patronize the cause of my kingdom. I will make governments write laws to protect my kingdom. I will make governments do things that will nourish and will strengthen the cause of my kingdom. They will foster by their influences the cause of Zion for good. And we say, come on, pastor. That's not going to happen. If you say that, you are not listening to the Bible history. If you think that, you are not believing the judgments of old are indications for the future for a people who wait on the Lord. Congregation, if you for a moment think with me about the post-Babylonian time, after this was written, right? Israel is in Babylon. Seventy years. What happened after that? God pinches Cyrus. Cyrus, I want you to go and do something for me. Cyrus has no clue that God is pinching him. But all of a sudden, Cyrus, the Persian king, writes a law. You go read it yourself in Ezra chapter 1. Who is this man? He's God's shepherd. Isaiah told that already in Isaiah 45. He named him already. About 200 years before he was even existing. Cyrus, my shepherd. And Cyrus is born and Cyrus becomes king and God pinches Cyrus. And Cyrus writes a law out for what? To be a nursing father and a nursing mother. For the Jews. Six chapters later, when Ezra comes on the scene as a new king at the Xerxes, he writes a law, a letter, gives it along with Ezra. You tell the people out there to open their treasuries. You tell the people there to give you help. Uh, nobody can stop you. Who is this? Who is this king? It's just a heathen king. So no indication ever was saved. 
But he was a king and he became a king and he became a nursing mother for the kingdom of God. Now, if you go through all of church history, you find many examples like this. Of ungodly kings and ungodly queens who began to do things they could never understand why they did it. But they became nursing fathers, nursing mothers to God's kingdom. You say, congregation, you think that's going to happen to Wellington? You think that our prime minister is going to be there? You think Labour, National, any of those parties is going to be doing like this? I don't know. I only know what God says. And that encourages. That ought this evening to encourage you and me to take hold of the word of God and to plead it with him. So what does it all say to us today? God says, count on me. Look to me. Don't despair. I am the sovereign God in control of your world. Uh Uh-uh. Of my world. This is Jesus' world. Harry mentioned in his prayer, I think, tonight. All power is given unto me. In heaven. And here on earth. That's the one who speaks tonight. Be encouraged, my people. Though everything seems to be discouraging, everything seems to be forsaken, I am the mighty God of Jacob. I am in control. Yes, our lives and yes, our liberties are in danger as never before. I don't dispute that. Be still. And know, I am the Lord. No, our adversary will not rest. The king of darkness will not rest. He will do everything to destroy everything. But there's another one who will not rest. Jesus. Jehovah. He will not rest till his work is finished. So let's conclude by reminding ourselves of the power of what we're doing this evening. The power of prayer. Don't underestimate prayer, beloved. Think of Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah. All those who were in this time period after the Babylonian captivity, all will be men. They all were examples of men of prayer. And undoubtedly, there were a number of women praying as well. And not mentioned. But they will be there too. The unmentioned ones who united together in prayer. The church on its knees will bring heaven upon earth. Do you know who Satan's main ally is? It's the ones Harry mentioned in his prayer tonight. The five wise virgins. Asleep. That is Satan's best ally. Satan does not mind churches as long as they don't pray. Satan doesn't mind it when we are listless, slothful, idolatrous, indulgent. 
Cowper is correct when he says Satan trembles not when we raise our fist. He does laughs when we make bold claims. But he trembles when he sees the weakest saint take hold of God and plead his word. That's what we need today. I don't know who said it, but I bet Luther that prayer is the tender sinew that moves the muscle of omnipotence. Isn't that encouraging? That is the encouragement that God gives us in his word, friends, about praying together in this evening hour. And let me conclude then with reading one example of a prayer in the next chapter, Isaiah 59, 51. You listen how these men were taught to pray. They just come before God with such intensity. Awake! Awake! Put on strength. Who are they speaking to? O arm of the Lord. Awake, Lord, as, as in the ancient days and the generation of old. Are not thou it that has cut Rahab? That's a reference to Egypt. And wounded the dragon. Are not thou he which dried the sea, the waters of the great deep, that made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over? I notice what is happening here. That's how I started my sermon tonight. The judgment of the past becomes the comfort for today. Becomes the ground to pray. And great Augustine, he said it very briefly. Prayer is nothing else but reading the handwriting of God back into his own ear. And let us try to do that tonight. Let's sing together. Psalter 347. Three hundred forty-seven all verses. Unto the hills around I lift my eyes. And what follows?
I'll lead you into prayer. Almighty Jehovah, we're nothing here but dust and ashes as thy friend Abraham even had to confess. We're powerless, Lord, against all the forces of darkness, all the circumstances that embosom fear if you look only at it from an earthly perspective. And we're also complete, totally unworthy of the least of any of thy blessings. For we have sinned and our fathers. And we come short of thy glory. And we are chief in it. The Lord, we're not a nation which the light did not shine before. Thou art so greatly blessed. Also New Zealand, with the reviving and the quickening powers of gospel preaching. And Lord, all we see all this coming upon us, may we be given that same confidence which spoke in the chapter of thyself, but also of thy church. That we may come to thee, Lord, in confidence and hope, for thy name is Jehovah. Thou sought us in the dark and gloomy day, of our rebellion in paradise when there was none that sought for thee. And Lord, thou hast also promised in this scripture that none will seek thee in vain. And thou hast promised tonight that none that wait on thee shall be ashamed. And teach thou us this evening to read to thee thy own handwriting in faith. Hast thou not said, Lord, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. This is a day of trouble. It is self-made, O oh God, as all trouble is. It is self-inflicted as we chose from the very dawn of our human race until the very day we live. We depart. We destroy. We reject. And therefore we suffer. And dear Lord, our nation's troubles are increasing because we've cast thee off more and more. And thou art fulfilling what is prophesied in the histories. That when thy people of Israel left thee, thou left them. Though thou never broke thy covenant, not even till today. And therefore there is hope even for the secular nation of Israel. For thou art a God 
of thy word. And Lord, thou knowest what referendums this nation is asked to vote for. Thou knowest the antagonistic spirit which hath the audacity to move boundaries that thou hast set as creator in matters of life and death. Thou knowest, O God, how materialism and earthly comforts are our gods today. And thou knowest how we also as church members of this church here are failing to seek thee and thy kingdom first and foremost. Now, Lord, thou hast thy remnant left. And also throughout this world, thou hast that remnant left that cries and sighs for the abominations. And it is tonight that we desire to ask thee to enroll us all into that remnant. Each one of us, our children, our young girls and boys, and us as older ones. Gracious God, make us prayerful. And may thee tonight echo the words we just read from Isaiah. Awake, Almighty, awake. Put on thy strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as thou did in ancient days, as thou hast done in generations of old. Lord, we read this promise. Thou wilt make kings nursing fathers and queens nursing mothers to protect and to nurture the cause of thy kingdom. And faithful God, we acknowledge, we find that so impossible to believe that that may happen in New Zealand today or in the coming days. But thou can do it. Thou hast turned the hearts of king as the rivers of waters in whatever direction thou chooses to do. And so we plead with thee, Lord, it is not a casting of votes. It is not that which will change the direction of this nation. It is thou taking hold of hearts and minds of those in authority and those which are the citizens of our country. Thy hand is not shortened. Thou can redeem. Thou can restore thy cause, and Lord, thou must begin with us. And we pray that thou wilt begin with us. Take hold of my heart. Take hold of our hearts. Teach us all to live with thee. Unite our hearts to truly fear and revere thy name above all. Cause us all, Lord, to walk in the beauty of the devotional love that we have been studying lately, of that glory with which we were created. May also thy church in this nation be so evidently glorying in thee and glorifying thee in their walk, in their talk, in their choices, in their life. Lord, we pray that thou would rid us Christians 
from arrogance, from disunity, from formality, from a name to live. Will thou cause Christ to have dominion over our lives, over our thoughts and over our tongue, at home, in school, as teachers, as students, as fathers, as mothers, as brothers, as sisters, as children, as parents, as grandparents, as members. O oh, great God, let Christ have dominion in this place, that thy glory may be seen, and that thou would ride forth prosperously on the word and through the spirit into our hearts and through our lives to bring glory to thy name. Awake, Almighty, and we plead with thee together tonight. Thou wilt put all the enemies and all the gainsayers and all the doubters and all the mockers to shame. And they may see thy glorious work. We pray thee, Almighty, as we lay this nation before thee, such a beautiful nation, nature-wise, yet such an unbelievably dysfunctional nation with families hurting, with suicide multiplying, with broken families, with children and adults experience the violence, the crime. A nation in which inequality and discrimination happens. A nation in which poverty and injustice takes place. A nation, Lord, where there is abuse of power, where there are sins so gross and so unnatural even that are allowed and that are having a voice. Oh God, it feels therefore so awkward tonight to ask thee for any favor. We're here in a prayer night also for the farms and for our factories and for our office work and for all the labors. But it feels awkward to come before thee tonight to ask for any favor. Thou hast favored us with wonderful weather in this first part of the season for the farming. Thou hast given us still and healthy economy. Most of us still have work, have had income, though some are hurting. Thou hast kept us, Lord, from killing diseases. There's been no COVID-19 and no other diseases that have killed people in our own church family. Thou hast kept us. Thou hast blessed our families. Thou hast given safety on the roads and in work. Thou hast given blessings in surgeries and medicine. Thou, Lord God, has done all that. And we thank thee so little and we so easily take thy blessings and grumble nonetheless. And therefore we ask this evening, give us neither riches nor poverty, but give thou us also in this coming season, Lord, what, is, uh, what, what will hallow thy name.
what will prosper thy kingdom, what will cause us spiritually to grow, to flourish, to come to repentance or faith, or to be strengthened in our walk with thee. And then thou, Lord, knows what we really need. We pray that thou be mindful of all those, Lord, who are hurting. We heard about the death of a, fa- of a child in the Waikato, buried maybe today. There's so many like that. There's so much hurt, Lord, so much brokenness. Also in our own church family, there are sufferers. We pray tonight for Ryan Slobbergorn. A nose like, Lord, medication had to stop again. It didn't get better, only got worse. And tonight we lift together this young boy of our congregation before thy throne. And Lord, thou knows why this is necessary in his young life and in the life of Heston Yolts and their siblings. And thou knows why there is no answer. Thou knows why this. But we may ask thee once again. Almighty Lord. That thou remember this boy. Hallow thy name. Through his life. Be that sickness or health. Be that pain or no pain. And teach thou us all. To submit to thy will even though it may be so hard, and for some of us it is so hard, so impossible. We plead with thee, Lord, to further thy kingdom work. We pray that thou would regenerate children, adults, that we may see a devoted congregation, respectful of thee, and our children also, respectful of the authority Lord, we pray that thou would make our children eager to grow their talents, devoted to grow their knowledge, so they may serve thee better in whatever positions thou hast assigned for them. Lord, thou awaken, O God, and nurture them in awareness how blessed they are, and that all these blessings are opportunities given by thee to be used for thee and for others. Bless the evangelism work of Johann, the Lord, and his wife. They work in our community, in the writing of the articles he does, the reaching out to the people, making connections and conversations. Lord, we thank him for his willingness, for his devotion. And thou hast laid a burden on his heart to share the gospel. And thou hast equipped him for that too, Lord. And we trust thou would use him in this way also. We pray for the ministry Tynus and Gineke are doing also. Especially in these coming weeks, Lord, as there's many young children, not even Christians, that have some way will be also acquainted with the Bible. Bless their labors and, and all such who are involved in such labor. Bless the kingdom work everywhere. Bless Yap and his ministry training. Bless the mission work, Lord, and the teachers 
also in the schools, those who are involved in counseling or counseling training. And again, we pray tonight for our school. Who knows the need, Lord, for teachers, for a principal, for staff that can bring the special character to the classrooms daily in the interactions. We pray, O God, that thou will do wonders. Open the windows of heaven. There is with thee plenty. There's resources infinite in thy hand, Lord. And we pray for a little bit of it. That the school and the ministry through the school may prosper for our children, for the other children from other churches and from our community. That thy name and the glory of thy work may be seen and felt and experienced. So, gracious Lord, as we part from thy throne this evening, we pray, don't do it for our sake. Don't hear the words that we spoke. Maybe tonight lay it all in the hands of him who must take our words and our thoughts and improve them and correct them and sign them with his own name. And so for Jesus' sake. Amen.